Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Support the show and get things like special bonus episodes and scripts and research. It's all right there. Patreon.com slash Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. Do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, boss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Rumor in your window about your favorite bands and songs. Uh, my name is Brian. Hey, I'm Murdoch. We are the story guys at gmail.com. That's where you send the notes. And we get a lot of notes. We've, we've been getting feedback since the early days of the show that we should occasionally make sure our scope is a little broader, right? I mean, we are rock and roll bedtime stories. We spend a lot of time in the 80s, uh, a lot of time in the 70s. Uh, we've had some requests. Maybe we should be in the world of hip hop a little bit more. I was just thinking that we should get out of like Wasp last command and talk about the other wasp records i gotta I say i don't really think there is i don't i want to say i don't think there really is another one did, did i tell you that we got a wasp press release did i tell you this yeah oh yeah the wasp yeah. hive has yeah. found us this I, I i actually should pull that up those episodes have done really well if you have not listened to the wasp episodes if you do not know who wasp is we have a lot to share about blackie lawless there's been what at least two episodes about wasp plus the episode where we had richard b stuck on and Tom Bajor and they talk about Blackie Lawless for a little while and then we ended up with uh, a press release about the 2022 tour which I wasn't planning to give Mike time but we might as well uh, the 40th anniversary world tour <laughs> witness live the winged assassin spectacle of shock and roll as they take you back back oh to the beginning um, so let me see here's the dates they're going to be in Milan nope Nowhere in the United States. Yeah, they're going to be in Barcelona. They're going to be in Madrid. They're going to be in Dublin. You know, Blackie's getting paid. He does. He does European festivals. You know, they don't like you in D.C. Take it to Oslo. I get it, man. When you just tell everybody, hey, by the way, during the show, actually, our name is an acronym which stands for, and you have to tell everyone that the acronym <laughs> is "We Are Sexual Perverts." <laughs> You're probably not going to be a hit in Des Moines. <laughs> 40 years later, but oh, you're man. probably going to be hitting it like killer in Scandinavia. <laughs> so anyway, back to this broad scope idea, looking at the world of hip hop, we've, we've, you know, to some degree we've got there, right? We, you can find episodes in the catalog about Suge Knight. We've talked about Rick Ross. We talked about the Beastie Boys. Paul's Boutique. We, yeah. yeah. We even talked about that one time the Ramones tried to be, well, one of the Ramones tried to become a rapper. Does that a count? Horrific. Uh, well, <laughs> it was a horrific moment when when I knew what you started to talk about. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right." And we all just kind of gave DD a pass to, to be a rap we guy did. for a little while because it's like, well, I guess he's still alive. I mean, we were just. I was glad he was still working. So so we're gonna so we're gonna talk about hip hop. So is this where where, where are we going? Well, Where'd that's what I was gonna say. From? I think we should go old school. Uh, w when I mention vintage hip hop to you, what artists come to mind? Forefathers of the genre. Who do you think of? Run DMC. Sure. Grandmaster Flash. Okay. Um, Curtis Blow. Yeah. What do you think about Richard Martin Lloyd Walters? That's that's one guy. Does that name ring a bell? Oh, um, is it Lottie Dottie? <laughs> Yeah, 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 calm down, uh, I, I can't believe you just know his name, and you immediately pull it out, this is why we do so this funny. show I'm together, like, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, I couldn't, for, you know, it's so crazy, I couldn't pick his name, 
out of a lineup because I'm a middle-aged man who can't remember <laughs> some crap sometimes. But immediately I was like, oh, yeah, it's him, and the song he has is la di and, like, that's him. Yeah, that's, we're going to talk about it. So amazing backstory to this guy, right? Born in London to Jamaican parents, victim right. of a terrible accident when he was an infant. Imagine being the parent in this situation. We're both parents. You have an infant, a window breaks, glass shard in the kid's eyeball. Oh my god! It's crazy. It's crazy. I've never, I've never heard this. Do we need to? Do we need to open? Tell everybody who we're talking about. Well, we're talking about a guy who will later go on to be known as Slick Rick. And if you've ever seen a picture of Slick Rick, you you've seen the eye patch. He's the. That's the eye. Patch. That's not just an affectation. He literally has to wear the eye patch. Yeah. Talk about making the best of a bad situation. Accessorizing your liability. I love it. Yeah, and then he, he, he made money with nursery rhymes. But keep going. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Wait, I, we're talking about childhood trauma. Have we ever talked about what happened to me when I was 18 months old? Have we ever talked about this on any of our shows? Do we get to, do we get to go tit for tat on this? So, you go first. I, I, listen, glass, eye, glass in the eye is, is not what I experienced, and that is traumatic and terrible. But I did fall out of a second level crib. Do you remember when people were crazy and they made these things in church nurseries? I know you were never at a church, but do you have any idea what I'm talking about? This was a big church nursery thing where in the eighties they would stack these cribs into the wall. So they were like, they were like, (laughs) you were like on a tour bus where they put the beds, you know, (laughs) they were like, Oh my God, that's really a thing. Yeah. And there were, there were two of them. So you would have one that was up and one that was down. So you could, you know, you just have tons of babies because, you know, mom and dad need Jesus and they're, you know, lots of babies. So you stick them in the wall. So how how do you keep the babies from doing the kick out? There's like a cage. There's like a little wooden thing that comes oh, down. You got to lift it up. You put the baby in. You pull the cage down. So I'm in one of those. Keep your babies in the wall. <laughs> Lord of mercy. We got babies everywhere. They're coming out of I the know. walls. Lord of mercy. Hallelujah. The babies are staying stuck. <laughs> It's so weird, dude. I'm sorry. I'm like, what? What is so, happening here? So they put me in one of these, and they turn mm-hmm. to change another baby's diaper, and they don't pull the thing down, and I roll out onto my head. True story. Oh, wow. I'm crying immediately. They don't know what to do. They pick me up. They're patting me. They're trying to get me to calm down. They start to notice my head is swelling. So they go and get my mother, and my mother says when she rounds the corner, my head is like oddly sized, and they immediately know something is wrong. Yeah, I was totally concussed, man concussion, the whole thing. And here's the thing you don't know about churches. Let me tell you more church knowledge. So in a lot of churches, if you're in a bigger church, I think they still do this. You know, they don't want to interrupt the service and be like, Mark, uh, your baby is is being a real uh, head, so we need you to come get your baby in the nursery. Like, they're not going to do, do that. Have, do they have, a code, they have a code word? No, so they, well, maybe in some churches. But in a lot of churches, they have like, it's like when you go to... Wendy's and you're looking for your order number <laughs> there's like a an LED thing oh, on the a, wall and it'll yeah. just flash like three two three two three three two three you have to look on your bulletin on the sticker like oh is, is my kid wow. three two three so anyway my parents were paged or however they got him out of the service and I was taken to the hospital so what was yours did you say you have a you have a childhood tragedy as well nah it's nothing like that it's super boring let's go back to Slick Rick <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? That was amazing. That was that was that was just a fundamentally amazing story. Can't believe there's damn churches where they put the crib. First, it's genius. Let's think about it. 
you, there's a whole bunch of parents and you got kids. What the hell do you do if there's no daycare? <laughs> Especially if they're infants. It's a genius, but I have to admit, I'm shocked. I'm freaking shocked. This is a thing that I've never heard of. And I've, I've been to some churches, Brian, but I, I guess I haven't been to churches where I'm like, ooh, take me where the screaming infants are. The, the baby ordering system? Yeah, it's weird. I, I want to go wherever the screaming children are. It's the place I'm going to, it's my least favorite noise. So, so Richard gets glass in his eye. He, he, he survives that. They move from London to the Bronx when he's 11. And as a teenager, he becomes really interested in fashion, spends a lot of time hanging out at the commercial hub on Fordham Road, which is there in the Bronx. He goes to LaGuardia High School of Music and Art, and unlike the airport, apparently that high school has its crap together. Mm -hmm. He makes fast friends with a guy named Dana McLeese. And they start performing together in talent shows and in local contests as the Kangle Crew. The Kangle Crew. And it is one of these talent shows in 84 that he meets this kid named Douglas Davis. Now, Douglas Davis is from Barbados, and he's figured out how to make noise with his mouth that sounds like a drum machine. And that's Dougie Fresh. That's Lottie Dottie. That's Dougie Fresh. It's when Dougie Fresh and Slick Rick come together, that's when they make Lottie Dottie. And we're not there yet, but we're getting there. When, uh, when Dougie Fresh, or as we're still calling him, Douglas Davis, sees Richard, or Ricky, uh, he's impressed. And he tells him he has this group called the Get Fresh Crew, and he wants him to work with them. So they decide they're going to call Richard MC Ricky D. Because Doug is Dougie Fresh, as you've already said. So Dougie Fresh, MC Ricky D, they start working on this track. And the track is basically them having a conversation about preparing to perform a show. And they call it, because they're super creative, The Show. The Show, yeah. And it's the early 80s, and if you want to get a song stuck in somebody's head in the early 80s, you use the Inspector Gadget theme song. Excuse me, that your Sharon. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember I, this dude, song? Dude, dude, yes. I am I am a I'm a kind of late Gen Xer and I had this stuff on wax too. The show cements this sort of a partnership, right? At least for a while. And these two dudes go on to start to make music together. Fun fact about this song. The original issue of the song features a line where Slick Rick mockingly sings a verse from the Beatles, Michelle. But all subsequent reissues have had to remove the line because obviously they didn't get the rights. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, so which which line is it? Well, you know, it's like in the second verse where he's talk. He says something about this girl Michelle, and then like in that area, I believe he pulls a line from the Beatles, and they had to take okay. it out. Right. So I, I mean, and we talked about this right when we talked about the Beastie Boys and about sampling and about about Bismarcky and and a lot of that stuff happens, you know, seven eight years after this. But through this whole period, the idea of borrowing from other people 
there isn't a system for it yet, really, right? Right, right. There's no infrastructure. And so things are happening where people are referencing, you know, and there's such pastiche happening in early hip hop, and there's no system for people getting compensated for being part of the pastiche. And this is a reoccurring thing. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't exist now or in newer versions of, you know, the, the music from this era because it's had to be pulled out for copyright reasons. Yeah, which is, which is too bad. As nasty as they want to be, the most awful record, the two live crew record, I went back because someone was talking about it the other day. I can't believe that record still exists on its own with these like Van Halen lifts and there, there's like yeah. all these samples that are in there. And I remember like at the time thinking, well, this should get it, you know, they shouldn't have their First Amendment rights. You know, and now listening to it, it's like, holy crap what the crap was i totally saying this was okay <laughs> this is i'm i'm tw- i'm like 20 years older and this is the uh, most terrible thing ever but it seemed to me that they were just outright you know stealing well and and so they put out the show as the a side but on the b side they put this other song where Dougie Fresh just beatboxes and Slick Rick raps about a normal day in his life. I'm sorry, MC Ricky D raps about a normal day in his life. And this is the song that you've alluded to. And this is a song that really breaks them wide open, which is, and it's funny because it's a B-side. We've talked about this a lot on the show, right? Like about some of these songs that aren't intended to be the songs that lift a career. But I know. It's called Lottie Dottie. Hit it! Oh yeah. You know what? Lottie Dottie. Lottie Dottie. I mean, it's hard to overstate the influence that this silly song has. And when you hear it, it's it's like right. a couple guys messing around. And right, it goes right. on for five minutes. This is four minutes and fifty-three seconds long. Yeah, yeah. It 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 felt freestyle then before people were freestyling because, you know, people were practicing rhymes and recording the recording those tracks, you know. And then if you want to get down to it, man, this predates the human beatbox of the Fat Boys, which was a ripoff of the entire idea of what Dougie Fresh was doing, the human beatbox. But that was that was it. Like the Fat Boys were like a parody of that too. But so really the kind of the originator of, of this whole thing, which kind of feels like a parody. Dougie Fresh. It's it's just what you said. Can't overstate how important this song is. It will, and it's funny that hearing it now through twenty twenty one years, you you do you go. I mean, is it almost making fun of hip hop? But it's before most of the hip hop. Like, think about what predates right. this. Like, Sugar Hill Gang is not that far before this, right? Late seventies. So. It, this becomes one of the most referenced songs in hip-hop history. The list of folks who have covered, borrowed, or pointed to this tune in some way is absolutely staggering. And it's way too long a list to read, but it includes Snoop Dogg, of course, who it becomes Lodi Doty, Mary J. Blige, N.W.A., Color Me Bad, Will Smith. It's it's a treasure trove. You just said Color Me Bad. You used <laughs> a, a reference of anything in our lifetimes to, to reference Color Me Bad. 
Well, okay. I don't get to do very much. And, and every now and then when someone's like, why don't we get Pizza Hut? I'm like, ooh, ooh I work at Pizza Hut. Ooh. <laughs> like, I love that I love Color Me Bad. It's like the worst of the worst, that, but they're fantastically terrific. So when you hear them say, TikTok and you don't stop. Yeah, yeah. That's from Lottie Dottie. That's Lottie Dottie. When you hear a rapper yell, hit it, that's from Lottie Dottie. When you hear a rapper say, we like to party, it's often a callback to Lottie Dottie. In fact, the hook of one of the biggest and most accessible Notorious B.I.G. moments is actually a play on Lottie Dottie. You know, the original line is, Ricky, 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 can't you see? Somehow your words just hypnotize me. Right. If Dougie Fresh was Chuck Berry, Dougie Fresh would have sued every one of these sons of bitches. Because <laughs> Chuck, 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 Chuck sued John Lennon for like lifting a, a line. Yep. You know? And it's like, well, this is... It's not only the line, it's kind of the hook. It's so invasive into hip-hop. Yeah, it's so ubiquitous. I mean, it becomes part of the fabric of hip-hop. Like, I, I, you know, I don't know how many people would even know that hit it is a is really a callback to a particular song it just feels like like almost all those things i mentioned tiktok and you don't stop like sure that's color me bad but like i don't i couldn't tell you who it is it just seems like a like an 80s hip-hop phrase to me right because these things become so much a part of the fabric but literally out of the gate this partnership between dougie fresh and mc ricky d is forming what's going to become broader hip-hop like it is actually what Everybody, the canvas, everybody is going to paint on for the next 20 years. Now, it's not normal that both sides of a single become legendary, but this double-sided masterpiece puts these guys on Soul Train. It puts them on top of the pops. Can you imagine that? And people start talking about MC Ricky D. People that you might have heard of, like Russell Simmons and Rick Rubin. We haven't seen anything like it. I mean, it a little, the closest thing was, I guess, Dana Dane, but it was Slick Rick. Dana whole, Dane was Slick Rick. But it was the Kango crew. They all kind of borrowed. I, you know, I, I think Rick was first. And a hundred percent. Right. A thousand percent. <laughs> right. I mean, that's literally Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons arguing about Slick Rick and his influence on hip hop. And if right. you think about two guys that have had influence on hip hop arguing about another guy who's had influence on hip hop, I mean, it's it's pretty mind blowing. It's amazing. This is so great. Well, and so MC Ricky D becomes the third artist signed to Def Jam Records. He decides that for his debut full length, he's going to use this alter ego, a name that he was sometimes referred to on record as. He was going to be Slick Rick. And even this, this is groundbreaking, right? Because as I as I keep saying, you can't really overstate the influence. Redman, Biggie Smalls, Eminem, they all go on to claim alter egos at some point in their rapping careers, right? Alternate rapping personas. But when you hear them, or when you hear, here's the, the, the one that comes to mind for me is Nicki Minaj. When she raps as Roman, it's all a nod to Slick Rick. And this all starts on a song called Mona Lisa that's on his 1988 debut record, The Great Adventures of Slick Rick. It takes two years to come out. It actually pits the characters of Slick Rick and MC Ricky D against each other. How much do you know about this album, Great Adventures of, of Slick Rick? I don't, I don't, and I don't think that I ever owned it. Do you have any idea who produced it? 
I'll give you a clue. They were really busy this year. <laughs> this was a this was a good year. Eighty eight was a good year for the bomb squad. Oh, the bomb. Okay, yeah. I, if you don't know that name off the top of your head, you probably most closely associate them with a little album called "It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back." Comes out that same year from a little-known group called Public Enemy. It's one of my favorite records ever. To let you know how respected this Great Adventures of Slick Rick album is, we have to diverge for a moment and talk about The Source. Do you know about The Source magazine's album rating scale? No, I don't, but I'm, I'm excited to hear if it's douchey like Pitchfork. Or <laughs> I, you know, I think it's actually pretty well-respected. So... In their reviews, they give albums a one to five mic score. And it's it's like a legendary thing how hard it is to be rated as five mics. Now, if you want to deep dive into this, we're not going to do it here. 60 Songs That Explain the 90s has an episode on Outcast from a few months back. And they heavily explore the five mic system at the source. It's like a good chunk of that podcast. I highly recommend checking that. That's really, really good. But for our purposes, just know that even with retroactive ratings for albums that precede the magazine's existence, like they went back in history and said, okay, let's retroactively make adjustments and say, okay, this album's really influential. So we'll give it five mics. There are only 45 records in hip hop history to have a perfect five mic score. And great adventures is one of them. Okay, and I, I had to look it up, man, because I, I listen. I, I have a memory issue with some things. First, <laughs> t- Treat Her Like a Prostitute is the lead-off song, yeah. which is I- tremendous. Children's Story <laughs> is on there. Also, Teenage Love is an amazing ballad that's on there. Yep. There's a song called Lick the Balls, whatever that is. <laughs> so... I just want to say that I did have that record, and I thought I thought I was like, "Oh, that must be the record after it." No, that that's the that's, that's the, the record, record that we that's the record that we all had. Yeah, that was mind blowing. So we're going to yeah. talk about his discography because it gets uneven for reasons that we're going to dive. The, the the main reasons we're here are the reason it gets uneven, but. It, he really comes out of the gate hot, and then he ends sort of hot. And we'll talk about where he is now and you know what sort of has been proposed to be his ending, though I don't think anybody ever really retires anymore. But let's talk about the things that set this album apart. Really, two things. Number one, he's a storyteller. And you, you already said this, right? Like, there, there is a little bit of what one reviewer calls Dick Van Dyke on dope that happens when you listen to him. Um, wow, what, a, what an interesting <laughs> thing. By the way, I, apparently Dick Van Dyke, from what I know, takes the dope. That's what he does. Oh, he, I, he doesn't. He doesn't drink alcohol. I think he's was a. I think he was in like AA and roll open about that. But I think he's he's on the dope. Good for him. Uh, staying staying alive. So the other thing that makes uh, MC Ricky D Slick Rick unique is this. I mean, you call it a lilt, right? Like it's it's a it's a delivery. It's an accent. It's a way of talking, right? And it's yeah, different than anything that's been in hip hop up to this point, and I don't think you really hear it again until you know who owes a ginormous debt to Slick Rick is, is Snoop Dogg. There was a time before Snoop where we didn't hear that, and and let's let's hear a little bit of what he really sounds like. You mentioned children's story. Here's children's story from Slick Rick. 
Once upon a time not long ago When people wore pajamas and lived life slow Well laws were stern and justice stood And people were behaving like they ought to good To live the little boy who was And there's like a little bit of that Jamaican London combo accent thing happening too Which like has disappeared now if you hear him talk But he really leaned into it in this period And it, it makes him a very unique vocalist Right, right, right and 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 definitely, it jumps out at you if you think 1988. Um, what was on the radio and what was going on in hip hop? I mean, really, it's like stand, it made him a standout. For oh, for sure. And I mean, I think part of what made it so engaging for people is that it didn't sound like anything they'd ever heard before. And so, this is where the story we're interested in for our episode today really starts. Slick Rick would sometimes refer to himself in these songs as Slick Rick the Ruler. And I think that is apt at this point in his career. He is unquestionably changing the face of hip-hop in real time. And he is ruling. Height of his powers. And when you're getting famous, your life starts to change, right? Things get weird. People get needy. You may not always feel safe. So Rick decides he needs a bodyguard. Which makes sense, right? Well, sure. Absolutely. Actually, it's his mom that decides Rick needs a bodyguard, and it's not because she's just nosing into his career. She is managing him at the time. And it's worth pointing out here that Rick's cultural heritage really explains a few choices. Remember, he was born in London, his parents are Jamaican, and the household was strict. And there was not a lot of tolerance for this idea of gangster lifestyle. So, uh, like, a lot of what he's doing is almost a parody. I mean, we've talked about this, right? Like, he is is parodying a little bit the ideas that he is actually rapping about. And if you go look at videos where he like wears the fluffy hats and the does, I mean, just everything about it is very fun. And he's got an eye patch, right? So everything is a little bit of a show. And when he starts making money, this is, this is great. Rick and his mom are investing in real estate. That's what he starts doing with his money. Oh, like that's at, so interesting. At this point, he's he he's not planning to stay in rap music. He is planning to become a businessman and a landlord in New York City. So he is buying real estate in NYC with the cash he's getting from Great Adventures. I want to I want to point out, by the way, that moms are great. <laughs> if if like like if they don't show up and they like, I mean, can you imagine like? Slick Rick's mom, like doing real estate. I mean, that's great. It's, I mean, it's looking after her kid. That's well, some I, serious stuff. I will say this: we're talking about rappers and their moms, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do actually know the mother of an incredibly famous rapper, and I find that like every time I work with her and deal with her and have conversations with her and spend time with her, I am awed. She's a successful business person, and she's and like clearly she has really guided him. But what he has chosen to do with it is so different than what she has done with it, right? It's so funny to think about Slick Rick and his mom as business partners, but that's that's what's happening, and they're they're not going to keep it in the rap game. They're gonna they're gonna do real estate together, but they're thrust into this situation. They've got sudden success, and then you come from this background where you've not had anything. You're an immigrant twice. You go from Jamaica to London, from London to New York. Hardworking, sense of duty, and the instinct is you use the resources that are around you. So Slick Rick and his mother, when they're looking for a bodyguard, look inside the family. 
and they land on Rick's cousin, a guy by the name of Mark Plummer. Mark Plummer, fresh from Jamaica. They, I, I don't know if they, it's unclear if they bring him over from Jamaica to New York or if he had just come over to New York on his own. But he's everything Rick wasn't but pretended to be. I said, you know, a lot of this thing that Rick is doing is a show, this Rick the Ruler thing. Slick Rick is the character, but he's sort of a parody. Plummer's the real deal. Plummer is from Jamaica and will take no crap. And his first gig is, Mark, you're going on the road with Rick for the 1989 Def Jam Tour. Now, in corporate speak in 2021, what they discover is that Mark Plummer is not a good cultural fit for Slick Rick. <laughs> uh, Rick pulls him aside and says, bro, this is not working out. But he knows he's family, and he clearly feels bad. So he gives him a severance package of sorts. He gives him three grand, which not a lot of money in 1990 or 1989 or whatever. This would be like 6K today. And But he says, we have this van, and you can just have that. Like, it's paid off, it's yours. So now you have wheels, six grand, be on your way. How do you think this goes over with Mark? Terribly. <laughs> That's to put it lightly. He is very upset. He just showed up from Jamaica. His cousin is becoming very famous. He wants this life of luxury, and he's just been cut off at the knees. So, as I said, very different than, than Rick himself, where Rick might... It seems from, you know, examining this story that Rick might try to have a conversation about this. Plummer tries thug tactics. First, he tries blackmail. He tries extortion. He tries death threats. The talk's not working. So in 1990, Rick is at the Castle, which is a club in South Bronx. He's in his Jeep. He's in the driver's seat. Now, remember, he doesn't doesn't have much of a staff because his staff is gone. <laughs> his staff hates him. <laughs> and... Uh, his staff is out hiring drive-by shooters who put 20 bullets into the car. Wow. No oh, one, wow. No, no one's heard, but everyone's freaked out. So Rick does what I'm going to venture you or I might do in this situation, despite our peace-loving political views. He buys guns. <clears throat> right. Cousin Mark not done trying to get his. At one point, and I can't verify where on the timeline this is, but one thing I read said there was actually a, like a home invasion style thing where guys come in and he's not clear who they are and they pistol whip him and he eventually figures out they're either Mark or with Mark. Like that happens. Then, get this one. Rick is home alone one day and he hears a knock. He sees a UPS driver. So he goes to the door, opens the door and realizes the guy in the UPS uniform is Mark dressed up as a UPS delivery man, and he pushes into Rick to try to get into the apartment. Wow. That was so weird. Rick is able to get him out of the apartment. That that ends. But the harassment just continues, and it becomes psychological because he starts calling Rick and Rick's mom and threatening them over and over, begging for money, telling them he has they have to give him money or else, et cetera, et cetera. Now, for perspective, I don't know if you've done the math here, but... Rick is 25 years old. <laughs> wow. I, how would you have handled this situation when you were 25, Mark? I would have bought a gun, I guess. Yeah. yeah. He's not only 25. His career is in excellent shape, which I don't know about yours at 25, but mine was not. Uh, and yeah. he's, he's worried yeah. all the time for his safety because he's hired the wrong person to help him not have to worry about his safety. That's the irony of this whole story, right? 
Yeah. It sucks. So here's the culmination. July 3rd, 1990, Rick has recently come home to find bullet holes in his front door. He gets a phone call from a friend telling him that Mark is in the neighborhood. So Rick gets in his car. He's like, "This, that's it. That's it. You know, there's a boiling point. He gets in his car. In his boot, he has... Now, I don't know how large this boot is. I have not seen a picture. But in it, he has six fully loaded weapons. Six weapons? Yeah. Fair enough. All right. Rick finds Mark, and he fires once. Misses him completely, but hits a random person. Oh. A second bullet rips through Cousin Mark's sneaker and grazes his foot. Now, Rick, 25, freaked out, upset, all of a sudden realizes, holy crap, I fired a firearm. Flees the scene, police come after him, he crashes into a tree. Oh, man, I've never heard this before. He gets arrested and immediately pleads guilty to two counts of attempted murder. And assault, use of a firearm, criminal possession of a weapon. And pleads guilty? Pleads guilty. Although... Understandably, he does say, look, I mean, this was self-defense. This I is... B- believe he pled guilt. Okay. This, right. this is the fall of... Well, I mean, this happens in July. So, speed up to 91, the winter, beginning of the year. He gets out on bail. $800,000 to get out on bail. And he can see the window closing on his career, right? So, he's the shooting star. He's had this... Highly successful album, which will go on to be legendary, right? I mean, of course, they don't really know that yet, but he's doing pretty good. And so he's got it. He's like, man, I got to get some work out in the marketplace. So he and Vance Wright, a DJ producer, hole up in various studios and record what becomes known as The Ruler's Back. And it's not a great follow-up to Great Adventures. But when you've had that sort of success and you're facing the stress and the things that Rick is facing here, Of course it's not going to be great. So Rick's on good behavior in jail. The range they give him is three and a half to ten years. But by 93, he gets work release. Okay, so he's in there for a couple years. So 91, he's out on bail. He does the rulers back. They release it. 93, he comes out, he starts working again. But here's the crazy thing. Remember how I told you he came over to the Bronx when he was 11? Yeah. Yeah, they didn't do the paperwork right or something. And when, oh. and when you're an immigrant and you have crime on your record, a felony, even, ba- I mean, <laughs> we all know the political rhetoric around that stuff now, but back in the 80s, early 90s, still the same thing. And so this wider complication starts to haunt this story. The U.S. Immigration Services decide it's time to deport this guy. Basically, it's a little unclear, but basically it's like, okay, you're out on work release, but you're not really supposed to be working because you're not verified to work because you're not from this country. So he has to go back. So he does three more years, like not really for the crime. It's now for his immigration status or it's because of his immigration status. He has to fulfill the certain minimum for the crime or something. So he he spends he spends three years doing what he spends three more years back in jail. Oh, in jail? Yeah. So he's back in jail. 1995, he gets a full investigation and immigration does a hearing and a trial in New York City. And they grant him relief. They say, okay, okay, we'll lay off. And in 97, he gets work release again. 
So he's been tied up and back and forth in jail since this happens in 90. So it's been seven years. Wow. And it's in the aftermath of this, when he gets work release, that he makes the lightning strikes twice and he makes his second masterpiece. Do you have any relationship to the art of storytelling? Um, I don't know. This is all new. So the art of storytelling is fascinating because it comes out in 98. And this is where in that 10 years that he's been gone, hip hop has really found the foothold, right? So he's there at the beginning. He's with Dougie Fresh in 84, 85. He makes this album in 88. He goes to jail in 90, 91. He emerges in 98, and now there's this new class of guys. There's there's Raekwon. There's Snoop. There's Nas. There's Outkast. And all these guys love great adventures, right? And so that's when you get songs like it. This is where you really feel... It's like you hear the early stuff and you go, I get the influence. But you hear this. This is a song from The Art of Storytelling. Listen to the beginning of this. I'm trying to claim things I haven't earned honest, man. Snake raking out gases on this jam. Blood kick diamond on a two-two grand. Trying to help raise our youth to man. Skip the room to rig his space to slam. Help clean up this land. The reputation of this man. And you can kind of feel it all come together right here, right? Like, all of a sudden you see the threads and you're like, there, all of these influences and now the technology and 10 years of hip-hop history and you pop Slick back into it and it's just like, you you see how ahead of his time he was, really. I, I can't wait to dive into this record because this is new to me and it's now 22 years old (laughs) well and it it would feel good to end the story there i would love to call it good and say like listen he comes out he's better than ever now Nas and outcast and all these guys are are obsessed with him and they welcome back with open arms but there's something else that happens right there's another brush with the law and this one is is not with not with cousin mark it's with u.s immigration again so Radio gets to play a part in this. You know you know the radio guy, Tom Joyner? Yeah, I know who Tom Joyner is. Okay, so radio legend. Uh, he has a cruise event, which I didn't know about. It was like a family cruise. The Tom Joyner family cruise is literally what it's called. That sounds totally awful amazing. <laughs> in 2002, Slick Rick's a featured guest. So they, <laughs> they go cruising. The hell? Is this a real thing? They get done cruising. They dock in Miami. And like he must just not have thought this through, or he must have thought the reprieve he was given in '97 was more bulletproof. But when he goes through immigration, coming back into Miami, they cite him on an ambiguous immigration warrant that was never served on him, and wow. they put him in an immigration detention center in Florida. Jeez. Get get ready for this for seventeen months gosh this is so awful for a year and a half in fact in december of 2002 he is within hours of being put on a plane and deported where is his mom <laughs> where is Slick mom in all of this because nobody is helping Slick Rick. like where is where is his mom and, and an attorney in november of 2003 has decided he was unjustly detained 
and that he be released immediately. And within days of his return, at this point he's got a wife and kids, Slick Rick is performing with Jay-Z on stage at Madison Square Garden. Oh my God. Yeah, what? that that is right. Because I remember those quick turn of events of yeah. like where he was, and then he was he was at Madison Square Garden. Now, there is eventually a really happy ending to this. After a thorough review and interview of Rick from the New York State Pardon Board, on May 23rd, 2008, 18 years after pleading guilty in the Bronx, former Governor David A. Patterson grants Rick a full unconditional pardon. I mean, he looks at what Rick has done with his life. He looks at, you know, and he's also, we haven't even talked about this, but he becomes, you know, sort of a, a, a community advocate and he's he's doing a lot of mentoring and he's going into schools, talking to kids. I mean, he's he's really doing sort of the public service angle on his own. And so they give him this full pardon, but the immigration system is still not fully dropped his case that takes until 2016 and he's granted u.s citizenship mm, wow what a saga right yeah and how ironic i mean it's 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 weird to think how different his life would have been or what his career would have been like had that not happened it's just so weird for me to think about what a drag it is for someone that's so talented that had to spend all that time wasted in jail yeah and now he lives a relatively low-key life a little bit of touring he donates his outfits like that's a thing he does Occasionally, he makes a guest appearance on a record. There was actually a single, I think, back in 2018. He hadn't done anything in in 20 years. But uh, for the most part, it doesn't look like we're going to get another album. It looks like he's going to go out on the art of storytelling, which is probably pretty smart. But there's one other character we haven't, you know, we haven't finished here, and that is Cousin Mark. What happened? Right. To, what happened to that guy? Yeah. In a strange twist, while Rick is in jail, circa 1992. Mark breaks into a house. And I'm just, I want to say trigger warning here for a second, because this is rough. He, he rapes a 10-year-old boy. Oh my God, Brian. The little boy, while walking home from school with his father, sees Mark on the street and recognizes him. The boy's father purchases a gun shoots and kills mark wow the worst whoa (laughs) whoa yeah i know i wasn't prepared for any of this to happen slick rick man i know with the eye patch (laughs) did you you, i gotta know did you think the eye patch was legit or did you think it was just an affectation I didn't think about it at all. Yeah. Do you know who? Do you know who else uh, uses a a hook from that? Is Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock? Yeah, they do. Get it? Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. And he's all over the place. It's crazy. You will listen to hip hop differently now after hearing this story. You will hear things and be like, "There they go again, ripping on Rick." It's happening. If you want to get involved in the show, it's we are the story guys at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear about your favorite hip-hop song, stories you want us to check out, whatever. We, we like it. And um, until next time, Mark, what should people keep doing? Keep telling nursery rhyme stories, please. Dick Van Dyke on dope, baby. 
Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.